0: And of the nine tests, we had eight statistically significant results. Seven went to one of these variants. One went to the other, and then one of them was inconclusive. And so we were actually quite surprised that eight of the nine actually came back stat-sig and only one didn't actually return any, any result. So what we got was a clear signal from the market, which direction resonates with our target base.
1: You're listening to Paris Talks Marketing. My goal with this podcast is to dig deeper into digital marketing success than any other marketing podcast out there, to reveal the growth marketing strategies and tactics that are working today, empowering growth at amazing companies and organizations. Keep listening as I interview founders, CEOs, and marketing leaders from all around the world, primarily from companies in the tech and software as a service industry. Now, on with the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. And today, I have the pleasure of sitting in the morning with Edward Ford, who is the Demand Gen Director at Supermetrics. And he joined Supermetrics three years ago as marketer number four of the company and employee number 32. And since then, Supermetrics has 5Xed its annual recurring revenue and scaled to over 200 team members. Edward previously worked at, SAS, at a SaaS marketing agency called Advanced B2B and, was, and is the host of the Growth Hub podcast and has grown that show to over 80 episodes and over 100,000
0: downloads. All right. So Edward, welcome to the show. Thanks, Paris. Uh, thanks so much for having me and uh, great to chat, as you said, in the morning, which is a rare occasion.
1: It is. Yeah, you're, you're in the same time zone as me in Eastern Europe, and we're going to test the morning freshness, I, I guess, on both sides. Uh, so I'd like first to just start with Supermetrics. I think most of our listeners are either are well aware of Supermetrics or they're probably a lot of customers as well. Uh, I, I see what you all are doing as one of the essential tools in a marketeer's tool, toolbox or MarTech stack. But for the uninitiated out there, can you just tell us a little bit about what Supermetrics does and what problem you all are solving?
0: Yeah, sure. So Supermetrics, we just help marketers and marketing teams work with their data. So we help bring siloed marketing data together wherever marketers, marketing teams, and and now more so data and analytics teams bring it for for analysis, for reporting. And obviously, you have a lot of siloed marketing data in Pay channels across like facebook ads google ads linkedin and so forth web analytics data in google analytics and then data in hubspot salesforce and so forth if you're ecom in shopify and basically just bring all that siloed marketing to data together in one place we automate that entire process so that it eliminates a lot of manual work a lot of painful copy pasting and i think agency marketers can relate to that in particular when it comes to client reporting mm-hmm. and Really, what we speak about is is helping marketers and marketing teams turn data into opportunity. So mm-hmm. you can just work better with your data. You have access to that data, and that really means growth, increased sales, time savings, improve customer experience and satisfaction. So that opportunity means a lot of different things to different people. But that's kind of how we look at what mm-hmm. we do at Supermetrics. Great. Maybe could you
1: walk us through maybe a a use case of a B two B SaaS marketing company that may be using, let, let's just paint a picture here. Let's say they're doing multi-channel acquisition marketing. So they've got, certainly they've got Google ads, Facebook ads, LinkedIn. They're experimenting with TikTok and and uh, maybe Spotify and um, Snapchat. Who knows? Mm-hmm. So they've got a pretty robust uh, digital marketing and performance marketing channel mix. They're also using uh, Marketo for marketing automation and they're on Salesforce CRM. So if if I'm the marketer at, the, at that B two B SaaS company overseeing the stack and trying to provide a unified, um, let's say three sixty customer view to to my C level, how would I use Supermetrics to, you know, to solve some of those pain points for me?
0: Yeah, so that's one of the main use cases we have is that like three sixty view of what's happening, really mapping out the full customer lifecycle and just bringing data from each step of the customer journey. So bringing paid data together from all those channels that you're using and you can obviously analyze those specifically together you can do a lot of cross-channel reporting you can see okay which platforms and which campaigns are, are driving the best results for us and then blend that together with web analytics data and then as you said pull it together with salesforce data or data from hubspot marketo and so forth and what you can do is just basically get an understanding of what is really happening across each stage of the customer journey from like awareness to consideration, to conversion and decision. And you can then drill down specifically into specific areas. So a big segment of our user base are performance marketers who are running a lot of paid campaigns. And you can then obviously get super granular insights on, on what's actually performing. We're also seeing discrepancies between different platforms and this will actually help you understand are certain campaigns actually driving revenue that might not be reported in native platforms. But when you pull in back-end data from uh, where you're actually tracking sales, you can then tie everything together. Uh, I was chatting with a customer last week and he was saying that Supermetrics basically make sure you're not buying ads with a blindfold on. Uh, so you really get an understanding mm-hmm. of, of what's working. And for your own use, that's obviously super, super valuable. But then for the reporting piece for management, whether it's in marketing or at the C-level, they have an idea of what marketing is doing, and you can just better communicate the value of marketing, show what uh, value you're bringing to the table. But more importantly, it helps you with your own decision-making. And uh, again, coming back to, to that piece on turning data into opportunity, that's really what it's about at the end of the day. So so that would be one example of how a B2B SaaS company could use supermetrics.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. One thing that in our agency work, we see all the time these discrepancies in the, the reporting that comes from the native platforms. So I'll give you an example. We have, um, let's say that the client's uh, billing platform is uh, Recurly. And that's, that's the ultimate source of truth because we've got, let's say in a in particular period, we've got 1,000 new trial starts in Recurly. But then Google Ads is reporting 600 of those and Facebook is reporting 800 of those as conversions. So then we've got, you know, if we add those together, we've got, you know, an excess of 400 conversions that are either being double counted or there's certainly an overlap. And and we think that a lot of times that discrepancy arises from this notion of uh, either a view view through conversion or different um, attribution models at play within the different platforms. So maybe Google is using uh, data driven attribution and Facebook is using first touch attribution. And these things are almost impossible to resolve unless you have a tool like Supermetrics that's going to bring that all together and unify the customer journey. Um, is that? Do you still see that with a lot of your customers where you're helping them to resolve this this issue of double counting of conversions across different ad platforms?
0: Yeah, and this is exactly something I was I was talking about with one customer of ours last week. We had a really interesting discussion and what they were seeing is is that, uh, in, in this case, it was an e-commerce company, um, and they were looking at what Facebook ads was reporting, and they had all their different campaigns, and they were seeing, okay, which of these campaigns is generating revenue, and which of them aren't generating revenue, and and what kind of decisions should we make on the back of this? And they were contemplating these decisions, and then they thought, okay, well, let's just double-check this. so. With Supermetrics then, they were pulling that data in and then they were bringing data from the back end of Shopify and had it in a Data Studio report. And what they saw on Shopify's back end was showing that certain Facebook ads campaigns were actually driving revenue. They're actually performing really well, even though Facebook itself hadn't reported any sales. So it kind of just painted a picture of what is actually happening and uh, resolved these discrepancies that people were seeing and they were able to pinpoint a 20 to 30 percent drop off that they could identify by utm tagging uh, and cross-referencing between shopify and facebook through supermetrics and again this is when he mm-hmm. he, he said like super supermetrics to make sure we don't buy buy ads with a, a blindfold on so it kind of just helps resolve issues you might have if you just look at one platform specifically but really kind of pulling everything together then gives you this 360 overview of okay what is actually happening and and do we basically now have a better understanding of the situation because it's so hard to really understand what is actually happening. Buying processes are so complex. And this just gives you a, a little more help in understanding what yeah. the customer journey actually looks like and, and what's working and what isn't wor- working.
1: Absolutely. I'm still so surprised with a lot of, uh, even a lot of our clients are still asking questions like, what is the ROI from Facebook? What is the ROI from LinkedIn or Google? And that demonstrates a very siloed mindset, which is that I'm investing X budget into Facebook ads and I wanna see what I'm getting back out of Facebook particularly. And that mindset, most of the time that there's just a a logical flaw there that they just think that I, I need to see how many sales or I need to see the revenue coming out of these platforms. And I'm not thinking of the journey. I'm not thinking that maybe Facebook and maybe YouTube is creating a ton of awareness, which is driving people to search. And then they go and search for my brand or they search for my category keywords. And there, my search ad is going gonna, is gonna to win that conversion at that time. Um, and we've been able to resolve that sometimes with just doing these incrementality tests where we just switch off a platform and we notice the, the, the drop off to the overall numbers. To me, I still think that this, these incrementality testing or the blackout testing, is a very crude way. It's it's like taking a sledgehammer to the problem. Is there are there other ways that you know using supermetrics or other other approaches that you can be a little bit more precise to understand, particularly the value of the assist, assisted conversion value of upper funnel, mid funnel touch points.
0: Yeah, I think you've opened up a really, really important topic right now, particularly within B two B SaaS and the obsession with immediate conversions and siloed thinking that we can just put X amount of dollars into Facebook ads and we'll get Y out on the other end and everyone's happy and we can we can see that but the buying journey is so complex and what you're doing in one channel is going to then drive positive results and action in other channels and you know what what kind of campaigns are you running in those ad channels so we speak a lot supermetrics within the demand team that demand generation is demand creation plus demand capture and a lot of people default to the demand capture so it's paid search ads on like high intent keywords where you can really capture people who are in a buying cycle and are ready to buy uh, looking for solutions versus say focusing on demand creation campaigns where you're not really interested in generating direct response in getting people to fill out a demo form or to start a trial or to contact your sales team or to even make a purchase if you're running self-serve SaaS. So understanding the differences and basically understanding the difference, different metrics you want to be tracking at different stages and knowing that what you're doing in top of funnel paid social is going to give an uplift in other channels, probably direct, um, in in branded organic search, and not just in marketing, but I think you're going to you should start seeing an uplift across other functions and other teams in terms of retention, in terms of outbound and SDR success. That it should hopefully enable them to to be more successful. So I think it, it's really about understanding what you're trying to track at uh, what you're trying to achieve at each stage, and how you measure and track that and. We can come on to this later and this is something we looked at with a full funnel brand test we ran uh, at supermetrics to understand how we're we're performing at all stages of the funnel um obviously using supermetrics and that was a very interesting experiment uh which is still ongoing at this point Mm -hmm. um so yeah i I think it really just comes back to to understanding what you're you're trying to achieve at each step and then there's a lot of internal stakeholder management on that as well and, and kind of showing the the results so i think the Idea and suggestion you had is one really good way to to kind of show that, um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of internal stakeholder management that comes with that as well. Yeah.
1: So Edward, you just mentioned the, the brand test, and this is something that I did not want to talk about. Let's let's dive into that a little de- a little bit deeper. So what what was that full funnel brand test that you all ran at Supermetrics, and uh, you said that it's still a little bit early to have the conclusive results, but where are you with that now? Can you just tell us about that?
0: Yeah, this is a really interesting project we started discussing about six months ago where we kind of got to a point where we're thinking, okay, here we are, our annual recurring revenue is at this level, and we're trying to get to the next big milestone, and are we on brand? And in terms of getting to where we need to go, does, does is Supermetrics speaking to our audience, and, and do they relate to it? And this is where a lot of teams can go down an opinion road where I think we should be this kind of brand or we should have this kind of identity or we should have this kind of tone. Um, so in true Supermetric style, we we said, hey, let's test it. Let's put together a test plan and let's see what the market actually says and what the data shows. Uh, and so we basically came up with an idea to create two completely new Brand identities, visual identities, for Supermetrics. One super emerging, very techy, very startupy, very sassy, uh, and the other super established, so very mature, very trustworthy, very rational, in that sense. And I think the current Supermetrics was somewhere in the middle, um, and and we were thinking, okay, which direction do we want to go, and. We put together these two proud identities in like a few weeks during the summer. Like we have this incredible design team who were working with us. We had two task forces. Uh, we kind of split the marketing team into the emerging and the established team. And it was quite hard to push really, really hard in both directions to get these two very, very different identities because you have to put your own opinion and ego aside. And, and if it's something you're not too sure about yourself, uh, it can be quite hard to cross over that threshold and what we did then was uh, once we had these two identities was to run a full funnel brand test. So we ran nine tests across the funnel at the top uh, at the middle and at the bottom and we had a landing page for both, which was essentially just the mock-up of a potential home page and the goal we were looking at for both was trial or demo button clicks. And we were running these tests across uh, YouTube and Facebook uh, and other channels, and we put together some creatives, and it was a whirlwind of a few weeks. uh, And of the nine tests, we had eight statistically significant results. Seven went to one of these variants. One went to the other. And then one of them was inconclusive. And so we were actually quite surprised that eight of the nine actually came back stat-sig, and only one didn't actually return any any result. So what we got was a clear signal from the market which direction resonates with our target base, and we obviously can i Can I try to guess before you? <laughs> I don't want you to give it away just yet,
1: because this is fascinating. Um, there was one startupy, techy one, and then there's one more mature. I'm just trying to figure out how the market perceives you all now, because you've been. Well, Supermetrics has been around for many years. I know. Um, to me, it seems like you're in a in a in a league of your own with with no true big competitors right now. But um, I, I could be wrong about that. I'm going to say that the established brand, the the more mature established rational brand, was the one that actually delivered the most. You said you were measuring this on on demo demo clicks, not not actual lead gen, but yeah, we
0: were do. We were just doing it on. Button clicks for start trial or, or book a demo on that mock-up landing page because mm-hmm. we wanted something super quick. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this was the first stage of the test. I don't know if uh, okay. if this is going to be put on YouTube as well, but I'm doing my poker face best here. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, <laughs> oh, so it's not.
1: Uh, is the answer you don't have the answer yet?
0: It's still ongoing. Still... So so okay. What we're what All we're right. doing like when we ran the numbers, obviously using Supermetrics and and got that initial read. Uh, what, what was interesting mm-hmm. is that actually both variants showed uh, a, a significant uplift from our baseline, which already in itself was a, mm-hmm. was a win. Um, yeah. And the next phase after that was then to take the, the variant that we saw as, as the strongest from the results mm-hmm. and build a, an MVP site. So it's essentially a microsite with, with some uh, of our most visited pages and then roll that out in test markets. Which is kind of where we're at mm-hmm. now. So in in Canada or and then the UK and Australia. So if anyone's listening in those markets, maybe yeah. you've seen it. Who knows? Uh, and then what we're looking now is is to see okay how does uh, how does the microsite perform? Because obviously the one page just gave an initial read, and as you said, we were just looking mm-hmm. at button clicks. So we don't know exactly the impact further down the funnel. Uh, so now we want to mm-hmm. look at that, uh, and then we're going to expand into some non-native English speaking markets. And take it from there. So it's been a super interesting project so far, and we've learned a lot, and it just shows the importance of how dangerous assumptions can be and how prevalent like and how strong egos can be, because we were all struggling through this, like ah, and and we like some of us wanted one to win and others wanted the other to win because we kind of yeah. liked it or, or or felt that it was more us, but really, it's the market that decides, and it's about the customer at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing shows that you can measure brand. And uh, and and the, and the mm-hmm. impact that has on on your sort of full funnel metrics. Um, so it's been yeah. a, a really interesting project. Uh, it's still ongoing. The test continues, and uh, I guess it's uh, a case of stay tuned during twenty twenty two, and we'll okay. see what we'll, happens. We'll have to either we'll see if you're right. Do
1: another episode, or we'll we'll have to circle back at some point to, to try to reveal the winner. Um, I'm even noticing my, my own personal bias now. As you described this, it's almost impossible for people not to have a favorite horse in the race, I suppose, huh? because of their own experience working at the company and uh, and with the brand. One thing that you mentioned that I thought was very interesting is the differences in this study with regard to uh, location or international versus, um, well, I would say U.S. versus international, let's say. My assumption is that you all are a clear category leader in the U.S., with a very high uh, brand awareness within B2B SaaS, at least. And that's why I said, I would say in that market, the, the more mature, well-established rational brand is going to be the winner because of the high, already high awareness of the brand and the fact that you're probably trying to move up market more to enterprise in the U S which is most likely much more profitable. Internationally, though, maybe you don't have the same perception of, of, of the category leadership and the brand awareness, especially maybe in, in emerging markets, let's say in Asia. Um, and there, maybe the techie, more startup brand is the way to go, because there you do want to establish the brand with uh, with the hot startups and 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 the the cool tech companies that are emerging. I know even here in Eastern Europe, and you're in Eastern Europe, too, just way north of where I am, but... There is, there's an amazing ecosystems that are blossoming here in Bulgaria. Uh, I imagine also up there in Helsinki, there's some hot startups. So probably Supermetrics in our part of the world may resonate better as the more of the hip hipster tech startup uh, cooler brand. So that's, that's, that's my guess. That's only just assumptions, but that's probably what I'd predict. And then the question that I have then off of that is, could you pull that off if it, if it's determined that. Let's say in Eastern Europe, the tech brand is the winner. In the US, it's more of the well-established brand that's going to align with with the sales force and with the HubSpot and, and Marketo's of the world. Could you actually run parallel brands? I mean, could you could you do that then in different parts of the world and represent your brand differently? Yeah, this is
0: a super good point, and I think one of the challenges of being in a global SaaS company that you have customers all over the world and your position in different geos and markets could be very very different. And mm-hmm. Supermetrics has always been global from day one, so we have customers in over 120 different countries. So there is going to be some differences there in terms of how we're seen, and mm-hmm. kind of managing that is is a challenge. Whether a brand could actually pull it off by having sort of region specific differences, it depends what sort of scale those differences are. Obviously, there's going to be differences you want to make for for specific markets, and one thing we're looking at for this year is that. Our, Regional marketing is is on a roadmap, and now it's the time to to become more focused, especially since our sales team is structured on a geo basis. And one interesting thing tied to this that I learned about when uh, interviewing uh, someone for, for for my podcast, the Growth Hub, was that they solved this problem by actually creating a direct competitor, which was. Mm-hmm. essentially competing with their own product at the lower end of the market as an entry-level product in their space. Um, mm-hmm. So it was in the accounting and finance space and they built a great brand and they they said that, okay, we're going up market and now we're positioned as more established, more trusted and, and higher ACV. So they created a direct competitor for the lower end of the segment, which nobody realized mm-hmm. was actually created by the market leader And that was how they overcame that challenge by having two essentially different companies, not just different brands. Um, But you would never have guessed that they were actually from the same company. So that's another strategy or Mm -hmm. another way to go about it. It's a more extreme one and one I've never heard of other than this example, but uh, it worked out for them. Do you think Supermetrics could do that? I don't know. We haven't really discussed or thought about it. I guess all companies could potentially do that, but whether you would, yeah. though, that's a whole new question.
1: Right, right. I, I think a lot of a lot of companies just don't even assume that that's a legitimate option because this is our name, this is our brand, our logo, our identity. Um, but essentially, if you've got great technology underpinning everything, what, you know why why not roll out a, a family of brands? Maybe you can have an umbrella brand with different sub brands underneath it that can serve different markets, different sectors in different markets. Yeah. And um, I, I think probably a lot of SaaS companies don't even consider yeah.
0: and so I, th- so seriously. Yeah, and, and I think what's interesting about that idea and that point is that we're seeing a lot of discussion around B2C coming into B2B and B2C style marketing coming into to B2B, which I think is a really good thing. But that also sounds like a very B2C play where you have these... Uh, house of Brands, where they just have yeah. all these different brands, which are part of the same company, like a Unilever or a Procter or Gamble uh, or a L'Oreal. And mm-hmm. why not take that approach in in B two B in SaaS? I think that's essentially the yeah. same same kind of idea, yeah. but we don't talk I, about it. I think
1: it. you're just really giving the you're giving the customer the illusion of choice. Uh, well, you're giving them choice, but but it is. Uh in in consumer marketing i think that's the that's the main point is that you want to control the market you want to still you still want to capture and maximize your market share but you want the consumer to feel that they have choice that they're not that this is not monopolistic or and so that's yeah that you, you you just create different brands different products and you position them differently in the market you can even do that in the same market or you can position different products in different markets which is probably the, the more appropriate one for um for b2b or for your case but i do i do think it's interesting. Um, because essentially you've got, you've got this powerful technology underpinning everything. And uh, you know, there's, there's just different ways to position it and maybe even different ways to price it. Um, I, wanna, I wanna shift over now to your own acquisition marketing. And uh, I'm just curious now how, about how many customers do you all have
0: worldwide? So now we have over 17,000 customers globally.
1: Mm-hmm. Awesome. And what kind of what kind of growth have you all been experiencing in the last one or two years?
0: It's been pretty solid growth. So, as you mentioned at the top of the episode, I've been at Supermetrics for three years now, and we've five x ARR in that time. Uh, so, uh-huh. it's it's been uh, pretty rapid uh, over the last few years, and both through net new business and expansion since. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. with the SaaS business model, it's also built on the uh, the fact that you need to retain your customers. Uh, so the retention, uh, expansion, upsell piece has been big as well. Um, so that's what we've been looking at in terms of growth over the last few years. So are you more focused in your role? Are you
1: more focused on acquisition? Or do you have any oversight also into retention?
0: Yeah. So now that we're scaling up the marketing team, we're becoming more focused on who is owning the the acquisition piece, and then who is also uh, owning the the retention and customer marketing piece, and building out teams to to serve that? Because it's it's its own own job and its own work, and you can have a big team on that. So we have now uh, a customer experience team who are looking after customer marketing and uh, the retention uh, piece for for the majority of our base. We also have uh, a customer success team managing our biggest clients uh, and looking after them. But from our perspective in demand, we, uh, of course, do uh, do look at the, the wider customer lifecycle, but our primary focus is on awareness and acquisition. And like I mentioned, we look at demand gen specifically as demand creation plus demand capture. So if you think of your total addressable market, that 100%, you could break it down into roughly 5% of that market is probably ready to buy at any given time. So they're in a buying cycle. They're Mm. looking for solutions. They're comparing you with competitors or alternatives. But the remaining 95% are, of course, interested and are very relevant for you, but they just might not be in a buying cycle. They might not be uh, Mm. looking for this specific solution, um, but you still need to reach them. So the demand creation is really focusing on that segment of the market and making sure that when people in a TAM are ready to buy, Supermetrics is top of mind. And then obviously for those who are uh, in a buying cycle, we want to be part of that discussion and make sure we're found. So uh, this kind of comes back to aligning marketing activities with lower intent and and higher intent actions. And I think Chet Holmes spoke about this in the Ultimate Sales Machine, Refine Labs and Chris Walker, they they talk about this a lot and this has really influenced our thinking. Um, And I think a lot of small teams, especially early stage, uh, including us, you focus on the demand capture piece and we spoke about this earlier as well that you know just invest money in facebook ads and let's get signups and conversions immediately um but you need to do both um and and that's what we're much more conscious of now going forward and and kind of really thinking yeah. about how we structure the team and, and what the playbook looks like um but our focus here is, is very much on the the awareness and acquisition part of the customer life cycle
1: yeah absolutely I think it's so tempting to just try to squeeze every drop out of the bottom of the funnel yeah. and just keep investing and investing more there because that is, that is where the highest ROI and the most immediate ROI lives. You, you've got, you probably right about five, 5% of your addressable market at any given time is probably in market. And they're probably ready to make a purchase decision in zero to 30 days from, from today. So what, you know, why not, you know, squeeze every drop out of that. Yeah. Um, if that, but if that's all you do, then your your funnel will never really get any wider at the top. You know, you're always just going to be sitting at the bottom waiting, and then it just becomes a a viciously competitive paid search yeah. game. Yeah. And then bids will go up and bids will go up. And and if your competitors are doing the same thing, and then eventually you all are just going to erode each other's margins there because you're just you're just fighting for the bottom and you're not trying to grow the pie uh, up up at the top.
0: Exactly. So I
1: think at some point, if you're starting out. <clears throat> It certainly makes sense. You've got to fight that fight down at the bottom of the funnel. Um, but then you, you also need to look a little bit past the immediate short term and, and figure out that if we don't build a brand here, we are always going to be fighting in the shark tank. And these, these average cost per clicks and the bids are only going to go up and up and up over time. And our pricing is not going up that fast. So that uh, basically means you know our, our margins are going to get squeezed and squeezed unless we can open up the top of the funnel and we get people searching for our brand. Um, and then you know, then we have more of a competitive advantage because when people search for our brand and and even if they click on our ads, then you know we're gonna that's the cheapest paid conversion that there is. I mean, that's the next best thing to an organic conversion. Um and I do want to ask you this question as you're building this combination of demand generation and demand capture, as you're investing in demand generation, are you observing the volume of brand searches that are happening? As a, as some sort of a KPI for that for that uh, investment you're making. Yeah, so it's
0: something we've always looked at, and I think all teams should be looking at that. You need to understand how that is changing and how that is is uh, hopefully growing over time, because I think that's ultimately what marketing should be working towards. Whether it's paid, whether it's organic, whether it's product led growth, whether it's customer marketing and supporting word of mouth, really about driving branded search because that's where Mm -hmm. you in a way it shows you're winning the game and and that you you have a great presence and uh you're positioned very well within the category and within the market and that's where the best conversions come from and i think to your point Mm -hmm. about just ending up in a situation where you're squeezing as much juice out of the bottom of the funnel that that is available is is what will essentially end up happening and um, you'll see a plateau in performance campaigns and it, you need to invest more to get less out. And so we also speak about breathing life into the bottom of the funnel by being active in the top of the funnel. And what you'll see then is that not immediately, but three, six uh, months down the line, those bottom of funnel metrics start looking good again. Um, So it's a kind of ongoing process and it's very easy to become middle and and bottom of funnel demand capture focused. And I think particularly when you're talking with CFOs and CEOs, uh, you need to bring that discussion on investing higher up and ensuring you have budget for brand campaigns, for top of funnel, for things that aren't going to show direct um, results or or attribution. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, again, coming back to the internal stakeholder management piece as well, which is a critical part of marketing in B2B SaaS, um, particularly if you have more product-oriented founders, which is often the case. Um, so yeah, I think you're spot on with with these points. Uh, and, and I think it's super important mm-hmm. to keep these in mind when you're working in SaaS marketing.
1: What do you all do creatively? I mean, how, how much, what, how much uh, creative are you all churning out to fuel all of these acquisition campaigns?
0: Yeah. So like I said, it's something we're talking about a lot more now and something we're investing more in. And we actually had a, a discussion last week between demand and performance on, on how we can, can work together on rolling out more creative on a more regular basis and mm-hmm. look at refreshing those on a, on a 30-day or monthly basis for different ICPs in different segments. And so it's something we've done in the past but I think something we haven't necessarily done enough of. And now, as we said, we're getting to the point where we really need to get up funnel and, and start looking into this and, and kind of build that process on how we bring creative to uh, to the top of the funnel to different platforms and experiment with channels that we're maybe not so familiar with in B2B SaaS. Obviously, things like TikTok, Snapchat's been around for a while. So there's some, uh, some really good opportunity out there. Um, so that's going to be fun to, to kind of push hard on on that kind of creative side, uh, which I think is often overlooked in a lot of performance marketing discussions since everyone's so, as we've spoken, middle, bottom of funnel centric on on like paid search ads and so forth. Mm -hmm.
1: I tend to think that a lot of the creative uh, within SaaS marketing is still opinion driven more than it is data driven. And ultimately creative people are producing what they feel what inspires them personally the most and also what they feel is going to be most successful. And now what's emerging is uh, there's a campaign type that has just launched recently within Google ads. It's called Performance Max. And these campaign types actually, it's a single campaign across YouTube, display, search, uh, Google, Discover, even Gmail. So you don't manage a, you don't manage campaigns in, in the channel by channel anymore. You just give creative assets to Google kind of like the, the, the universal app campaign concept. And Google actually now reports back in the, in the reporting suite for Performance Max. It's, it reports back on every element of, of the creative assets. And it says, this headline is overperforming or this headline is performing best. This headline is underperforming. This, this uh, image is underperforming. This video creative is overperforming or performing on average. And it's actually direct feedback to a creative team to tell them exactly what to get rid of and not do any more of which is you know that that alone is huge value and then which which successful creatives to keep iterating off of so if you've got a winning headline great let's pivot off of that let's create four or five variants going after that same message or conveying that same sentiment and see if we can make it even better and to me this is game changing for a creative team and it really puts the creative team now in a in a role where they're following the data as opposed to leading with opinions yeah. and i think that's that's a big
0: a big shift. Exactly. And I think this is also what we're trying to get at with the full funnel brand test that we would put our opinions aside. Mm -hmm. And and this is what we, we also speak about this in within Supermetrics or within our marketing team that without data, you're just another person with an opinion. And Mm -hmm. that's essentially the truth in these situations when everyone is just leaning towards what they think is best or what they like best or, or trying to avoid what they don't necessarily like. So it, removes all of that from the equation and then you have a situation where we can say well okay this is what we're seeing in the numbers and this is the direction we're being encouraged to go Uh, and i think that's where Mm -hmm. data is so useful it kind of is a trusted advisor that will never lie to you it will Mm -hmm. just say hey this is the situation and uh it's up to you where you want to go but i think it should be this way
1: yeah absolutely and i i tend to think for creative people that when you get that kind of feedback from data and I actually think it's not limiting, but it even opens up more creative opportunity. If, if you're someone who's let's say a videographer now, instead of having to decide on one concept and trying to debate that, uh, let's say with other stakeholders, well, if you have a few ideas, you can run all those ideas and it allows you actually to create more variations of things. Um, and I, I think it, it even enables more creativity. Um, but I think we're still in the early days of this. And I think still, uh, and I'm going to touch on your agency experience here, because I know, I know before Supermetrics, you were at a big agency. Uh, I still think the agency world is split mostly between performance agencies and the more brand or creative agencies. And I think that these worlds will uh, ultimately merge. And I think that performance agencies need to absorb uh, performance creative and, and take that in a different direction. Do you, do you have any opinion on that?
0: Yeah, I think that uh, Advanced B2B was actually somewhere in the middle in that it was performance-driven and uh, driven by by data, but also from the brand perspective. And so the starting point was really understanding the brand and the strategic narrative and the space uh, that customers are in, but then combining that with growth marketing and performance marketing and running sprints on a monthly basis and balancing between the two essentially um, to generate results for clients. So yeah, I think there's going to be a coming together uh, for sure, um, between the sort of more performance uh, driven and, and the more creative driven. So it's going to be, uh, mm-hmm. it's going to be a fun, fun to watch how this plays out.
1: Yeah. I think these worlds are colliding and I think there's a third leg of the stool, which is data science. Uh, real, da- real data science going beyond analytical rigor, but m- real machine learning stuff. I think that these worlds, th- these are the three aspects I believe is the agency model of the future, the performance agency model of the future. Um, do you have any, any advice? So you, you have this very unique background of having that, that agency experience with one of the top per- performance agencies out there. And then over to Supermetrics. um, what, if, what advice would you give to an agency owner, let's say like me, uh, who's listening to this, uh, given given your experience? What, what do you think agency owners need to be thinking about right now uh, for the next two or three years out?
0: So I think the agency space, and I think it's all spaces as, as we go forward, will become more niche, more focused, and going from this sort of 360 agency to solving a really specific challenge for a specific audience. And I think particularly on the audience side, um, there's a lot of opportunity uh, as markets become consolidated. So I think it really just comes back to really understand your position and who you're trying to serve and the value you bring to that unique audience. Um, So I think that's going to be the future of of agencies really, really targeted to specific geos or industries or verticals or audiences. Um, So that's what I'm seeing because a lot of Supermetrics' customers or agencies, and I speak a lot with agency owners um, mm-hmm. and small business owners, and and that's a, a trend I'm seeing. So that would probably be my advice.
1: <clears throat> yeah, don't be all things to all exactly. people, and I think that's that's hard. It's tempting to to go full f- uh, full stack or full service as an agency because you you you, you want to be able to service your clients with all all the needs that they have. Um, but I think it's also important to know that you still need to, to specialize and, and ultimately solve a problem in a particular market or a particular geo. And um, I think that's, that, that's where things are, are headed. I think more specialization is out there. I think that agencies are going to start adding, performance agencies are going to start encroaching into the areas of data science and also um, building their creative teams instead of those two agencies being separated. That's, that's my prediction. Well, at least that's what we're trying to build. Also, at up online. We'll see if we'll see if I'm right. Uh, well, this this has been really fantastic, Edward. Was there anything that I didn't ask you that you you think is important for our audience?
0: Well, I think we covered pretty much all the all our bases. So this was a great chat. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. So tell people where they can find you uh, online if they want to if they want to get get to know you better. Yeah.
0: So LinkedIn is the place. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So come check me out and, and connect and we'll catch up there.
1: Yeah. And and what about your podcast?
0: Uh, what is it called again? Yeah. So the podcast is called The Growth Hub Podcast. We started it mm-hmm. when I joined Advanced B2B as we were going international. And the uh, at that time, there were just B2B marketing podcasts and there were SaaS podcasts, but there weren't any specifically on B2B SaaS marketing. So uh, we've interviewed some some great people over time, and I've actually just handed over the the host role to uh, Seiya and Reta from Advanced B two B, and they're they're picking up up from here. Mm-hmm. So uh, go check it out, the Growth Hub Podcast, if you're interested in B two B SaaS marketing specifically.
1: Awesome, sounds like a competitor to this podcast, <laughs> but I'm all for it. Um, the more, the merrier, huh? <laughs> exactly. Do you, I, what do you think about podcasting? I mean, you did it for so many years. Um, Should agencies or who should be podcasting? I just want to touch on that one quickly. Yeah,
0: I think it's a great medium and a great channel to to get your brand known and to get your message out and to really position yourself as part of the conversation. And Mm -hmm. we used it really, really well at Advanced B2B. We started the podcast in 2017. So we had a, a pretty good head start. There wasn't like I said, that there weren't that many podcasts at the time in that there weren't really any dedicated to B2B SaaS marketing. Now there are quite a few. Um, but I think the important thing as with any channel is just to understand the purpose and the why of why you want to do it and the role it plays in your um, demand gen mix. Uh, and so we actually started a podcast at Supermetrics about one and a half to two years ago on marketing analytics. Because again, we saw that there were a lot of podcasts on marketing and there were a lot of podcast dedicated to digital analytics uh, and data, but there wasn't Mm -hmm. really anything specific to marketing analytics and data in marketing. And that's obviously space where we're we're, uh, big into. Um, And it's slow to start, but I know, and I knew having grown the growth hub that this is going to be super, super valuable and important to us in two years when we kind of built the base. And now coming into 2022, we're thinking, okay, what can we do? In terms of taking the podcast forward and now that we built this solid base we've had some like incredible guests and some great content and great reviews and a lot of fans of the show how can we then double down on this and and uh, go bigger so I think there's a lot of opportunity in podcasting but you just need to understand why you're doing it and how you fit in the podcast landscape because there are so many great podcasts out there now
1: Mm mm-hmm yeah, it's, it's almost like starting a blog yeah. in, in 2005, exactly. maybe. Before there, were, before there were a billion blogs, uh, there was great opportunity. And I think we're still, I think we're in that window now with podcasts. Yeah. Um, but you still have to rise above the noise and, uh, and develop a, a unique voice. Exactly, uh, That's still extremely important. Well, look, Edward, I think I know I've kept you on a little longer than I, I had promised. So I'll, I'll let you go and get on with your day. And this has been fantastic. I really enjoyed the discussion. And I'm uh, looking forward to, to keeping in touch.
0: Yeah, likewise. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast, Paris.
1: Thanks. Another great episode in the books. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about SaaS growth marketing, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P Dot .online Have a great day